welcome to Between the Bites, IT Updates Podcast. My name is Gary Arnold. I'm your host today. I am joined today with Michael Pearson and Bron Martin. Uh, Michael is the Senior Vice President at DSA Technologies, now Executech, and Braun is the Senior Practice Director. Uh, both of them come with a lot of experience in both technology and cloud. And we're here to talk today about uh, the scenarios and the stories uh, of the past few years in Northern California, and specifically the disasters and crises that came out of the fires, the power outages, and now the pandemic. And, and you know what what companies can learn from disasters and crises like these and how they can react to them better and maybe some of the takeaways to prepare for them. Uh, welcome, Bron and Michael. Why don't we start and talk a little bit about the fires uh, that happened in, that affected a lot of California in, in, in 2018 and talk about the specific story uh, that we have with helping one of our clients in that situation. So as the as the fires were happening in Northern California, you know, it's, it's just a pretty devastating situation and um, you know, so much loss of property and so on. And we didn't think really it would necessarily impact us. And in the midst of that, we had been visiting a client out in a, an area called Vacaville. And while well, the guys were on their way back, um, we got a call from one of our clients, uh, NorCal Pipelines, who was uh, closer toward the fires and the fires had actually started coming over the hill. And like a lot of people, um, they had a small data center closet where they managed their data and um, with a lot of our clients now, we you know we look at other alternatives for that, but that was still the case then. And they were going to get evacuated, and that was just shut down the data center. There was issues around whether they would still have power. They'd have to cut down the power because of the fire. And it's just a great opportunity for our guys to step up and, and provide excellent customer service. Instead of heading towards Sacramento, they jumped in the car and uh, happened to be in an SUV, which was awesome, and headed uh, straight out toward where the fire was. Uh, they described it as pretty odd as you're seeing everyone go one way and you're going the other on the freeway. It's it's pretty unnerving. Um, we're able to get there for our client that afternoon, um, take everything out of the data center closet. So pulled servers, switches, firewalls, pretty much just co collected everything they could to make sure there wouldn't be an issue if the fire continued on in that path. Uh, brought it straight into Sacramento where we have uh, some data center space. That evening, it was uh, relocated into the data center space. Everything was put back up and reconnected so that by the next morning, they were all fully back at work, just operating out of our data center. So just a great opportunity to, again, to show some great teamwork and for the team really to step up for a client. That's awesome. And, and so tell me, you know, what the that client specifically and maybe other clients have you or what recommendations you've made to other clients uh, in response to that specific scenario? Yeah, I think traditionally, you know, we were we were talking with clients about it, certainly from a very at the very least having a DR scenario where you had disaster recovery gear at, a, at an offsite data center. Um, and, and then a lot of cases, you might as well go hosted. And as the cloud has become much more um, significant and much more available, now we're talking with a lot of clients about just going straight to the cloud and making their systems and their data available to, to anyone, anywhere um, from, from a, a team standpoint and just making sure that you know, they're, they're no longer in a situation where they're bound that way. Are there any, you know, without going too much into the technicalities, are there are there limitations or, or specific considerations that a company should have in regards to moving to the cloud? 
Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you know, if a client's not willing for us to to at least do some sort of assessment and to help them understand what it's going to take to get to the cloud, that makes us nervous, right? We want to we want to be able to look at their environment if they happen to be into graphics editing or if they are heavy into um, large data that's pulled back and forth. We want to understand the cost impact of that for them and the service impact of that for them so that we can make sure that we're providing the best alternative. It still could be the cloud, but maybe we have to have um, SD-WAN acceleration in there, or maybe we have to have some other solutions. And in some cases, frankly, it's just not the best solution. And we maybe need to go to a hosted environment where we're um, hosting that in a data center where we can tailor it to them and they don't have the fees of going in and out of the cloud. That's awesome. Bron, do you have anything to add specific to uh, that, that story or the cloud in this case? Uh, it was really a test for some of the things that we've asked them, some of these clients to do in the past. So, and, and the things we just kind of do as a given in IT, at least IT for the enterprise, and, and Michael hit on a couple of them, right? So making sure you actually have dual pass to the internet. What a lot of people don't necessarily understand is if they have a uh, you know an ISP provider, that ISP um, is not necessarily going to be five nines vital themselves. And if you only have one, something goes down, that effectively means you're you're cut out of things. Now, if you have your entire workforce on premise and they can't get in, that's not necessarily that big of a problem because you have a, you know, your land workforce. But as more things become dispersed, you know, obviously a lot of folks are working from home, especially these days, uh, making sure that your network, your cloud and your WAN side of the network is redundant, highly available and uh, is fast. That's become absolutely essential. So when you saw some of the things like the fires, but we did see some of the local ISPs went down and because they only had one pipe coming into the facility, the client was effectively down as well. So making sure we have multiple different types of connections coming in is absolutely essential. We've always recommended it. Uh, and just something that was really brought to the forefront during that uh, during that episode. Yeah, that's interesting. You, you don't always know what you, you don't know what you don't know, as, as they say, right? You don't know what uh, what systems may be affected by other systems until it's, it's, it's already happening. So I, I guess that, that leads us into sort of our, our next story, or our second of the three that we want to tell today. And maybe, Bron, I think you're more familiar with this aspect. Tell us about then the, the power outages uh, that occurred and the specific client situation that came up during that time. Yes, I have a, a client um, here in Rancho Cordova, P.K. Willis. They, uh, they have an IT director that's very serious about uh, ensuring that his uh, workforce is um, available 24-7. They have a nationwide presence. And as a result, when they first came to us, this is probably about five years ago, they said, we have an environment that's not quite where we want it to be, and we want it to be you know, fully redundant, and especially in the event of power outages, what does that look like? So going through an assessment, uh, everything was virtualized. They have some very specific regulatory requirements due to their business types and their clients that the cloud wasn't as much of an option for them, but they effectively had to build a private cloud for everything that they're doing. So our engineers came in, designed them a system, and what we really appreciate about this particular client is that they also understand the need for testing. Uh, a lot of people put together what looks absolutely fantastic on paper for disaster recovery, which means if your production site goes down, uh, you know, you move everything for your, your workspace over to another physical facility. Um, even though that might look really good on paper, unless you actually test it and really test it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work when you need it to work. And what these last couple of years in California, at least, have proven, you know, we've had more than our fair share of disasters. 
when things are under the gun, when people are feeling a lot of pressure, things are very, very hectic. That's the last time you want to try to do something like this for the first time. So we go through biannual tests of that system to ensure that everything is going to operate. Even though the main facility, and again, these guys take this very seriously, they don't just have one backup generator, they have two backup generators. So when the power outage first struck, they had lit up their first generator. It was no problem. It powered about two thirds of their campus. However, their second generator failed. <laughs> so even though everything had been, all the T's had been crossed, all the I's had been dotted, uh, Murphy's Law is still always very much alive and well. So in that case, we had to fail over some of the operations to another site. They have a mobile uh, deployment that they were able to put in place. And at the end of the day, because of how it's been designed and again, how it's been tested, we knew that maximum we were only going to lose about 30 seconds worth of data. So they take this up very, very seriously. And then when the time came, we actually had to test it. Uh, they did not have a single hour of outage that impacted their workforce. Wow. And, and, and all of that was put in place beforehand, correct? Correct. Yeah. These were some recommendations that we had made with them. Um, obviously, you know, budget is not unlimited, but it was a um, it was a compromise in certain cases, what we could do, what we couldn't do in their environment. For example, they only have two physical wires that come into the build, building because they don't have any additional uh, bandwidth available without trenching. So they actually have a tertiary line that's coming in over the cell network. And it was that uh, cell network uh, that actually saved the day here because some of the terrestrial lines have been uh, have been cut due to the power outage. What spurred uh, the conversation? I mean, outside of it sounds like, uh, you know, our team making some recommendations. How did that conversation go? How, how was it started? Uh, it was a result of an assessment they asked us to do. A lot of folks, uh, a lot of businesses, even though they might understand that there's some you know audit requirements for PCI compliance and you know HIPAA compliance and things of that nature, unless you really have somebody from the outside come in and take a second look at what your environment looks like, especially in the event of a disaster, um, you don't always know what's underneath the covers. So, and what is really important about these is that you may have passed a HIPAA type check, you know, four or five years ago, but those requirements continue to increase what is actually required of the end service provider. So even though your production environment, when it's running and everything's good, they pass that audit, uh, you kind of have to poke at it a bit. So, okay, what if you lose this line? What if you lose that line? And when we brought these things to the attention of the um, the ownership of the company, they definitely wanted to get them resolved. And so we you know, sat down and have a business conversation with them. Like, again, if you had an unlimited budget, this is what you could potentially do. But, you know, give us what your numbers look like and we'll provide the absolute maximum bang for the buck. And it's not just has to be like a day one kind of thing. This client has been upgrading and adding to their capabilities and capacities over the last uh, two and a half, three years. So you don't necessarily have to start on, you know, home base. Okay. So Braun, you know, with all that in mind, what do you recommend to clients in terms of how, how and how often they are testing their systems uh, from a disaster recovery standpoint or their disaster recovery plans? Is this a quarterly thing? Is this a yearly thing? Uh, we definitely recommend at least annually enough changes within a year, even things you may not necessarily think is going to have an impact that you should really, really look at it. Uh, we have a different client uh, out in the East Bay, and they had a board requirement to do a full test every six months. And in that client's case, they could not lose any functionality. Now, that's rare. Most clients are fine that in the event you have a true disaster, 
that they can take maybe a 50% uh, impact to performance or maybe, you know, a 40% impact to the number of people that are able to access the system because, you know, it is a disaster. It's not going to last forever. Um, so people understand that. Uh, but this other client's case, they could have absolutely no impact whatsoever. So for them, what was built is actually two identical data centers. And for the first six months of the year, they run out of one. They failed over to the second one and they run out of, out of it. So it really kind of depends on what your business requirements are. But for the most part, we recommend at least an annual test because that way you know you're going to be in a good place when this stuff happens. And as we've seen, especially in this market, you know, there's always seems to be another disaster, a next a new and exciting disaster around the corner that you haven't seen before. Making sure that you really test for some of that stuff is really critical. Very true. Thank you. Uh, Michael, do you, do you have anything to add around that particular story or the, the takeaways from that? Yeah, I think the most important thing for us is, well, well, we're certainly willing to step up and and want to make sure that we do all that we can to exceed our clients' expectations. Uh, preparation in advance is, is always appreciated. So I think as we have these discussions with clients and um, there's nothing better than when you talk disaster recovery with a client, you talk to them about the need for it, that they that they understand it and they say, you know what, you're absolutely right. L let's start tackling that project. And it's not normally all at once because of the cost, but at least they're ready to go. They understand the risks that they're trying to mitigate and they're, they're partnering with us to make sure that we're helping their business be successful even in times of trouble. So, you know, I, I think that's the best thing for us is just seeing clients partner with us and working early on it instead of waiting for disaster. Yeah, I think that's, that's good advice for, for any scenario, not just IT. But let's talk a little bit now about uh, the more recent scenarios and recent stories that we've experienced around the the pandemic uh, of the coronavirus and COVID-19. I think we have a story around a couple of clients that we've been able to help respond rather quickly to the work from home orders. Uh, and I wanted to get your thoughts and your your story on what happened there. I think it's really interesting. We had um, one of our clients literally probably two weeks before we had just had a conversation about people requesting to work from home and they're an architecture firm. So that's fairly complicated. And how do you how do you do that? And should we allow it? And it was a, a really interesting conversation about what we could do in the future. And then we get these these stay in, stay in uh, shelter in place orders and, and work from home orders. And all of a sudden that became very real. Um, unfortunately, uh, due to uh, how quickly that came on us, um, the, the ability to buy a bunch of laptops was pushed out for you know, several weeks. Uh, fortunately, they were uh, very forward thinking and they had bought all of their staff uh, Microsoft Surfaces because they wanted them to be able to work out in the field and work remote and see their drawings. So we enabled the Surfaces to have access to their high-powered CAD machines and uh, 3D imaging, uh, their Revit machines and made sure that they could access remotely that way and, and got all that set up in pretty short order for them. And they've, you know, they're now five weeks or, or so into that program and it's going, uh, it's going very well uh, for them. And um, again, the surfaces have been great for, uh, for those display devices. Yeah. How, how timely do you, do you think that that kind of a setup uh, would be efficient or, or good in, for other companies? Yeah, certainly, I think if you're looking at uh, desktop from the cloud option and you don't have the graphics intensive pieces and you just want a, a way to manage desktops and give a, a display device for viewing, it, it's a great way to move forward. That, that that works really well. Having the added complexity of the graphics, especially for your higher end people who really notice any millisecond lag, it gets more complicated. 
but um, in, in their particular case, we were able to make it work, and and they're uh, they're doing they're doing very well. I think the other big challenges you have are around how do you manage printing, how do you manage document sharing, and then how do we maintain our culture and how do we collaborate. So uh, we, we we had teams, Microsoft Teams, launched with them. They were already an O365 client and uh, set up the uh, Teams application. They, they, their group jumped right in, took control of it, and they've been using that to communicate, inviting outside clients in, and it's been a great resource for them. That is, that's awesome. Thank you. And then, Bron, uh, there's another story related to the pandemic as well, I, I believe, for, for a client of yours. Would you mind sharing that story? Yeah. So... Again, what we've talked about traditionally with folks is, you know, making sure the data center itself is really secure, redundant. And, you know, we weren't necessarily as worried about the, the desktop side of things and the laptop side of things because I would never truly expected something to come along that would send everybody home. Um, but obviously, that's what happened here. Uh, in this case, we were able to, as Michael said, use a, a potentially lighter uh, class workstation, a laptop device, um, provision several of them, uh, dozens. Um, and get them back out to people in the field, you know, very, very quickly. But in this case, because you are dealing with, um, you know, regulated data, you have to make sure that everything, even though you push it out to the edge, is still very, very secure at the edge. So making sure that your DMZ is set up properly, making sure your VPNs are done what they're supposed to be doing in the way that they're supposed to be doing it, is critical because your average, um, you know, administrative assistant, um, the people who are working at county departments, they're not necessarily super technical, so asking them to go home and install a bunch of software and get a bunch of certificates installed, that's that's kind of a recipe for uh, IT headaches. So we need to make sure to do that in a very streamlined fashion. So we use some centralized tools that uh, our managed services group uses that push things out and then manage it for our clients. And that made the uh, experience overall pretty, well, um, pretty seamless. And in this case, we're able to send the entire uh, HQ office home, dozens and dozens of people, and do it in about three days, and everyone's been working from home since then. Um, and they've all been very, very you know, happy and complimentary about how headache-free that's been because for this particular uh, organization, most of the folks are married, and they've seen what their spouses have had to go through <laughs> compared to what they've gone through to make sure they uh, run, and um, they've been very, very happy with the results. That's awesome. Thank you. And so I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what other considerations uh, are often overlooked uh, when it comes to moving from work from home, I mean, you mentioned a couple of maybe some compliance needs that that, that need to be considered or thought about. Uh, what are some other things that maybe get overlooked uh, that need to be rem- reminded of when it comes to IT and security and work from home? Yeah, Michael hit on a couple of the really, really critical ones that no one wants to think about, like printing. How am I make sure that I'm printing my data from a remote site or, or from the cloud back to my local system? Uh, that, that's a big one. And the other one is uh, data sharing. You know, when everyone's working uh, out of the LAN, right, you already have all your folder directories and redirectories already set up and things of that nature. Now, if you're suddenly working from home, you have, uh, you know, potentially data that's floating around that may not necessarily be secure. And because it's on their home network, we want to make sure that if, um, you know, somebody accidentally gets compromised inside their house because they don't necessarily have an enterprise class firewall there, that it can't hop in and compromise work data from the home site. Um, and in fact, we had a couple of clients, and I'm sure there's lots of folks that can share similar stories. They're like, yeah, I'm just gonna use my system from home. Go ahead and you know, cook me up to the hook me up to the system, up, up to the corporate environment. And we're like, we really don't recommend that 
because we can't guarantee that that system's been patched. It has real malware or antivirus software and things of that nature. You're like, no, no, go ahead and do it anyway. And in our case, we said, it's absolutely, we will do that for you. Just sign this waiver that we're not responsible for it. And um, suddenly those requests went away. They're like, well, I really don't want to do that. You know, how else can we tackle it? And then just, you know, sitting down and working with their clients on a better mechanism to get them in so we can deploy our tools and we can ensure that people are safe. Um, that became a much better talking point. And frankly, it's led to better relationships with some of those clients. And Gary, if I can add to that, again, security is key in all this, right? Making sure that that the you have the firewalls and everything in place and making sure that you truly understand how your environment works. In a lot of cases now, with document imaging and document sharing and workflow products, we've enabled people to do just incredible things from, you know, taking an invoice and scanning it into the system. And suddenly when that person's at home and the mail is at home and, and you have a scanner at home, it, you know, how, how is all of this working? So the, the fact, you know, that we're really focused on how do we build these great relationships with our clients? So not only do we understand their technology, which happens to be our tool to help them be agile and help them get things done, but but how do we understand it well enough such that it, when they're in this situation, we can we can then um, make sure that process works from a different location. And, and, and I think we've had a great success with that because we, we've paid attention to the client business. We understand their cultural needs and, and then being able to say, okay, great. Well, here's a secure way to accomplish that task. Here's what the scanning is going to look like. Here's what, you know, these other aspects are going to look like and how the process still works. Um, that, that's been a great success for us and for our clients. That's awesome to hear. And I'll, and I'll ask this of Michael first and then to Braun. You know, Michael, what do you see being the new normal now? Uh, you know, a lot of these scenarios we talked about were, were built for the what ifs. Uh, but, but, you know, now that we've had, we've gone through this pandemic, uh, a lot of people are talking about just work culture in general is going to be different. Uh, what do you see the new normal being for IT going forward? Yeah, I, I think this has been incredibly eye-opening, right? From a from the idea of what what does my commercial real estate footprint have to look like? Do I need all this office space? Um, I have someone who's very talented that I would love to bring on. They happen to be out of state. How could I make that happen? All of those questions now we're seeing um, get answered in in that we we can all work remotely and we can do it very successfully. We have very capable tools. I mentioned Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams is a great application that allows you to, you know, to to still have that face to face. We can instant message. We can um, have video conferencing. We have these chat rooms where we can have everyone come together and communicate. So I, th I think that's probably the biggest thing is this fear about what does it look like if I let someone work from home for most companies is pretty much gone away. And then that really opens things up to say, well, gosh, if that's not an issue anymore, why am I not getting the best talent I could possibly find regardless of what state they're in? Because that can be helpful to me as a business. And why am I not reducing my cost instead of getting more and more office space? You know, why am I not focused on reducing my cost and, and having some more flexibility and agility so that my business can perform better? I think that's the biggest thing that I'm seeing. Yeah, that's interesting. The recruiting angle isn't one I thought of, and that's that's very true. Uh, Bron, what about you? What, what thoughts do you have about what uh, the new normal may look like, especially in regards to IT going forward? I've had uh, I've had three different clients reach out to me uh, that have expressed complete shock that the mobile workforce actually seems to function truly remotely. 
and that has been uh, eye-opening, especially in some cases. And Michael mentioned one, you know, it was like a you know, architectural firm. Another one is in the construction industry that they have been, um, basically their main headquarters office has been empty for the last month and a half, and they've still managed to close two new deals and, and move things forward. So um, things we've talked about, you know, very high level, about very futuristic things, um, you know, using drones on site, controlling them from your Microsoft Surface in order to do site surveys and then put that back down. You know, it really sounded like science fiction. And now that's very much been proven to be, no, it's reality. We can actually do those things and it works way better than we ever anticipated. Um, and then for other cases, it's been they're planning on rolling it into the HR policy as a reward for people uh, to be able to work from home one or two days you know, a week here and there. It's just part of the general you know, offerings. So those are kind of things that, at least to my knowledge, were not being discussed at all. And now it's really kind of being built all the way down into the, you know, the HR pamphlet. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that as we go forward. I think it's going to be the, you know, if this worked as well as it did and we weren't expecting it, how can we make people even more efficient? How do we make them more effective so that, again, as Michael was pointing out, if I don't have to have a huge office all the time, um, you know, what's that what's that going to look like and i think that's going to be really a, a the new normal yeah, and gary you look at how that revolutionizes the construction industry where you maybe have a construction site supervisor who's spending multiple hours uh, every week coming into the office for office meetings heading back to the job site back into the office for office meetings and and now he's just at the job site and he joins these meetings via Zoom, potentially over his cell phone, or he has a Microsoft Teams meeting over his cell phone, and he can actually look right at the job site. He can he can show them the job site. In in this requirement that he used to have to come into the office, I can't imagine he's ever going to want to go back to that. He's so much more productive. Why would you ever change it? So I think we're we're, we're some of these things that you just can never go back to. I think the other thing is everyone has become much more security aware. And I think as we continue to train the staff of our, of our clients and we continue to make them aware of the security, you know, even phishing attempts in the midst of a pandemic uh, because those guys can't help themselves, but being able to make them, our clients very aware of security, we're going to get better and better and make these technologies then much more accessible because they're security aware, they're maximizing what they can accomplish in a day and where they are doesn't necessarily play a part into that. And that's a huge win for all these clients. Yeah, that's, that's so true. That's, and I, you know, it makes me think of all those, uh, you know, demo videos that you see from, from Microsoft, even if it was five years ago of, you know, the mobile workforce and all these fun buzzwords. And it's like, well, nobody's going to work like that. Well, we're working like that. That's, that's the new normal now. It's, it's interesting, but it's also somewhat exciting, I think, to, to see these changes uh, happen. Um, as we wrap up, I wanted to let each of you give us kind of your uh, a golden takeaway. If there was one takeaway for a business that was listening uh, about what they can do going forward, uh, what should it be? And Bron, let's start with you. I would say take, uh, take the next disaster very, very seriously. You know, four years ago, we would not have been talking about, you know, a city being burned down, a major city being burned down in California. And yet Santa Rosa, for all practical purposes, experienced it. And of course, paradise is truly gone. Um, and then the idea that, you know, a very, very large swath of a major metropolitan area would just lose power for days or potentially weeks on end 
was effectively inconceivable. Uh, and then one year later, right, half of the people who used to go into work are now suddenly not there. Uh, I don't know what the next one's going to be, but I guarantee you there will be a next one. So just start planning for it. Again, we don't have to boil the ocean all at once. Let's just plan for what's out there, see what we can do within the budget and make it work. But take this very, very seriously because, you know, that next disaster is is around the corner. Great advice. Thank you, Mike. And Michael, what's what would be one big takeaway uh, to someone listening that they could do going forward? Yeah, well, I, th well, I certainly think disaster recovery is, is is something they should certainly pay attention to and at least have some basic plan for. I think the question that they should really be asking themselves as well is, is if I have a data center and if I have a big IT team, why do I have that there? Why am I not running everything out of the cloud? Why do I not have desktop in the cloud? Why am I not using uh, Teams? Why am I not having my servers in Azure? Um, you know, there's professional groups that can manage this for you, that can implement this for you. Why are you not looking at that as a viable solution to this, you know, rebuying your hardware every three years? When, when you could be in the cloud all the time and you can scale that up or down. I think that's going to be a real critical question everyone's going to have to ask and, and hopefully uh, we'll provide some good answers to in their businesses to make them more successful. Awesome. Thank you. Bron and Michael, thank you for joining me today on the Between the Bytes podcast. Uh, thank you for sharing those stories and those insights. We will be sure to have you back on a future podcast to talk more about uh, what companies can do to prepare for disaster. Uh, thanks again, and we will talk to you guys later. Yeah, take care. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Be sure to check back for additional podcasts from Between the Bytes on the latest tech news and tech updates. If you have any additional questions, be sure to reach out to us at executech.com and check out our resources page, which has more blog posts and articles. Thanks. Bye.